Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. I'm back. Eric, did you miss me? Of course, man. Uh, you know, having having to steer the ship is a task uh, that it's not necessarily in my uh, strong suit in the podcast game. I did what I could. I had a, a great guest in Doug Smith, but man, you, you can't can't beat the get the chemistry of uh, two awkward, self-loathing people. Yeah, steering the ship. You don't know Starboard from a hole in your ass, you know? Uh, yeah, that's uh, Starboard is uh, the back? I don't know. Okay. The, front? the entirety of my um, <laughs> knowledge of boating directions is like in elementary school gym class when they would yell like port or starboard or whatever <laughs> and you had to run to the different end of the gym and you would just wait for the first person to go uh so that they were basically indicating which one was which and then you just run uh yeah um, you don't have to know directions better than people if you're faster than people is the <laughs> lesson that i learned there yeah it's it's much like you know if you're running from a bear you don't have to be faster than everybody you just have to be faster than somebody Yes, unless you poke that bear, in which case, 30-point comeback. He'll run over you. Yes, exactly. (sighs) All right. Uh, It was nice to get a non-break last week. Um, Starboard, by the way, not Starbird. That shows how... how, uh, Starburst? Starburst, yes. Uh, We're off to a a rip-roaring start. Look, we're at a practice. We've had a week off. Uh, We're a little... You know, just takes a little bit of time for that chemistry to come back. As the Toronto Raptors may soon realize, <laughs> the Toronto Raptors uh, last week convened on Naples, Florida, uh, to practice at Fort Myers, uh, in Fort Myers, rather, at Florida Gulf Coast University, Dunk City. Um, they are basically in stage one of the NBA's relaunch plan right now, which sees every team reconvene in their local market. Uh, the Raptors, as Masai Ujiri revealed in a conference call on Monday, uh, they had talked to the federal government about potentially getting a waiver for the 14-day quarantine period for uh, people who come back into the country. That didn't work out for whatever reason, and the Raptors deemed it safer to uh, hold this pre-camp camp in Florida rather than bring everyone back to Toronto and have to do a double quarantine kind of once they eventually go to Orlando. Uh, the Raptors will be in Naples and Fort Myers until July 9th. They're in the last cohort of teams that'll show up in Orlando. Uh, right now, not a lot going on. The players are allowed to work out Uh, individually with up to two coaches at the FGCU facility. Um, They have the hotel to themselves and they have access to things like ping pong and tennis and cornhole. And I've been told it's gotten (laughs) quite competitive already as, you know, professional, these professional athletes who thrive on competition haven't had anything to compete over for the last couple months. Um, Eric, who do you think is the best cornhole player on the Raptors? I don't know the answer, but I'm curious as to your take. Um, well, you'd need a, a soft touch. Uh, I, I mean, my my gut is just to answer Lowry regarding most things. Um, I, I want to say Cornhole is a point guard's game, no? Um, yeah, and, and I think it's Lowry because not only does he have that soft touch, but he's also like maniacally competitive and with a game like that i could just see him caring so much more to get better than anyone else Um, (laughs) you know like ping ping pong there's like a limiting factor to that with you know how well you strike a ball in your hand eye coordination and and whether you could put spin i I think i feel like ping pong is a big experience game but cornhole is just like you find that one motion and you just repeat it 
And I could see Kyle out there, you know, I could see Kyle Lowry dropping a game. Uh, to, you know, Matt, Kyle Lowry goes and he beats Matt Thomas over 18 holes. And then Matt Thomas, you know, an Iowa kid beats him at cornhole. And Kyle Lowry's up until all hours of the night practicing his cornhole shot so that Matt Thomas can't beat him again. Uh, I could see a scenario like that. Yeah, there's probably crossover between a good free throw shooter and a, and a good cornhole player, too. That's my BS theory that I'm going to push right now. Because, uh, again, a, a repeated motion. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, I like your Iowa guy theory. Nick mm-hmm. Nurse is probably pretty good. Nate Bjorkren. Um, well, Nick Nurse would, would remind you that he's also one of the best shooters on the Raptors. So your uh, your free throw correlation also works there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to see that. Maybe that's a later in the week story. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, not that we're going to be able to talk to these people or get video of it, but uh, you know, I'm maybe I don't know. I, I if Raptors media relations, if I put in the first uh, po- like quarantine bubble one-on-one request to talk to Matt Thomas about cornhole, <laughs> I think I would just lose my Zoom privileges for the rest of the the rest of the restart. Yeah, but you know, you got you have to die on some hill, and, and why not the cornhole hill? Any hill will do. Um, There were more serious topics of conversation on Monday's uh, conference call. We spoke to Masai Ujiri and Fred Van Vliet. Later Tuesday after this recording, we'll be speaking to Nick Nurse and Norman Powell. Uh, The Raptors are kind of treating this like a mini training camp uh, in terms of access, doing some Zoom calls and stuff like that. Uh, Again, they convene on Orlando on July 9th. And then there's the um, the second level of quarantine and then a couple weeks of practices and scrimmages ahead of the July 30th official uh, restart. Um, on that conference call, before we get into some of the schedule stuff, because on Friday uh, they did the NBA did release the schedule for the eight reseeding games each team will play. And it's uh, very Raptors relevant and very Raptors fans spicy on Twitter in my mentions after seeing the schedule. Um, Eric, I wanted to open it up uh First, though, for uh, us to discuss the content of Monday's conference call, uh, I don't think anything, you know, necessarily new, but I did appreciate, first of all, that the Raptors rolled out two of their, um, you know, smartest and most vocal leaders in, in Masai and Fred Van Vliet um, to kind of navigate some of the nuance that, yes, this is risky and everyone understands that and there are some... You know, everyone has some hesitations about things, but it's moving forward. And, uh, you know, they're doing what they can from a COVID perspective as numbers spike around Florida. Um, They, you know, both of them admitted that there are concerns, but put their faith in the league and and the way the league is working with uh, health officials um, to keep the bubble or the mesh trucker hat, as it were, safe. Uh, And then also to affirm that, you know, this won't, their intent is not to return as a distraction. Their intent is to return um, as a way of continuing to promote meaningful change. What were your big takeaways from uh, Messiah, talking to Messiah and Fred on Monday? Uh, well, it's funny. Like, you, you because Messiah Jerry talks so rarely in, in this in, in this big of a setting, I would say, in, in front of the Raptors media, it happens a few times a year. Uh, you know, I was sort of primed for him to be the guy uh really making news and and you know he was his usual self and you know optimistic in ways and focused and enthusiastic and uh and and saying the right things but i I thought fred van vliet like was really on it in terms of uh you know everything particularly uh racial and, and societal 
uh, injustice. Uh, you know, so somebody asked him about the timing of returning him to uh, to play uh, and to returning to play. And I'm just going to read the whole quote because I think it's one of the best quotes of the year. Uh, he said, it sucks, man. It's terrible timing, but that's been 2020 for us. We all know the right thing to do is to not play, to take a stand. Morally, yes, that makes that makes sense. But life goes on. We're all young black guys. None of us. I mean, obviously, they're not all young black guys, but you, you get the point. Anyway, uh, morally, yes, that makes sense. But life goes on. We're all young black guys. None of us want to give any money from their salaries back. I don't think that we should. I think that money can be used in a number of different ways. This is not going to end this summer regardless or over the next couple of months. This issue, racial injustice, social injustice, police brutality, all these things are not ending anytime soon. Our fight is long term. That was part of my decision. But if the league or more of my guys would have come together and said we didn't want to play, I would have sat out as well. I wouldn't have even thought it. I think most of us decided to play. It's something we'll have to live with. I trust that my heart's in the right place and I'm doing enough to make change. Um, I just think that's like extremely honest and hits the mark on a, on a lot of things and a lot of the issues that the players faced about, you know, getting, you know, returning to play, getting paid and using that money at least in part to further the causes that, you know, are so important right now in society. Uh, he was very open about the NBA returning as a distraction and trying to keep that in mind with how they, um, with how they carry themselves while they're in the bubble. And the fact that this is basically a glorified tell, I mean, the NBA is always a television event, but this now more than ever, it will just be a solely a TV event and they sort of have to form a, a collective front. And he was open about how conflicted this is and uh, this should make people on a number of uh, situations, a number of fronts, both, you know, medical and uh, in terms of uh, uh, the societal issues as well. So I, I just, you know, I always appreciate honesty from players and I don't think it gets much more honest than that. Uh, you know, I, it was in my story and there's the, comments that you can imagine, uh, you know, if you don't want to play, just don't play or be a leader. You don't have to wait for other people to, to step out, uh, to, to, you know, to not play in order to not play if that's what you believe in. But I, I think like he's being so honest there, you have to appreciate it. And, uh, and I think, you know, that's a lot of the things that, you know, we don't have the money implications necessarily, but a lot of those things are things I've been thinking of too. Um, and then the health situation in Florida certainly just uh, uh, goes on top of that. So I, I really thought he was on the mark with a lot of things. And uh, yeah, that's something that's going to carry, uh, that's going to be in my mind uh, for as long as uh, as this is going on, I think. Yeah, I think obviously Fred's intelligent and well-spoken and is the, you know, one of the best voices they could put forward for this. I wanted to address what you said about some of the comments. And, and you know, I saw a couple on Twitter. I saw a couple on your article. But I also saw some, the Raptors themselves posted the video where, you know, you can't, you can't do the, oh, the pull quote didn't give the full context or whatever. The whole video was there. And I saw some responses like that, like, you know, oh, that does that mean he's a follower or would he only want to sit out if, he, if it was trendy? And I just want to address that. I went on a bit of a rant about it last night uh, on Twitter because I got pretty <laughs> frustrated at, you know, whether people were either 
you know, engaging with it in poor faith because they just want to corner the fact that players are in a no-win situation right now, um, or whether they actually didn't understand. And Van Vliet's point is not that, at least I don't think his point was that I would sit out if everyone else was sitting out because, like, I'll follow. It's that he felt that the collective action was the right course of action for him and that there's power in the collective action. So while he's respecting people who are individually sitting out for family or moral reasons or health reasons, he understood the more collective argument. And it's the argument that Chris Paul and the Players Union have put forward a lot that, you know, the visibility is important to drive change and the the money that the players stand to make is, is important to drive long-term change as well. So this was not Van Vliet, I don't think, being like, well... If, you know, if someone else, if my buddy sat out, I'd sit out too. I think it was if we as a collective decided that that was the best way to use our platforms and use our situation, then I would have understood and fallen in line with that. But he also understands, um, you know, using this to make money and make it visibility, uh, high visibility. And the one thing he actually said that um, I hadn't really given perspective to, uh, at least not to the full extent that he highlighted it was that you know i i know you know there was when adam silver was on inside the nba a couple weeks ago he said that michelle roberts kind of challenged him to michelle roberts the head of the the executive director of the mbpa kind of challenged him like the league needs to do more than a t-shirt uh with you know this relaunch and bringing these issues to to the forefront of people's minds and you know something like putting messages on the back of jerseys in place of player names is, I think, a, a great idea. And and I would hope that extends to, you know, auctioning off some of those jerseys after to raise money for, for black causes. Um, you know, th- there's been rumors that uh, a black power fist could be on the court. Um, Zach Lowe re- reported last night that uh, it'll say Black Lives Matter in multiple places on the court. And I un- I understand that some people have a hesitation or, and I was guilty of this too, to think, okay, well, like, that'll... You know, the first couple games, people notice that, but then it'll just be a part of the scene. But what Fred pointed out was that this is always going to be looked back on as a really historic close to the season. And, um, you know, for future years or, or down the line, people are going to look back and see a name like Breonna Taylor. And, you know, maybe it's three or four years from now, and that's not in the public consciousness as, as much. And they see a highlight from the 2020 NBA Finals, and there's Brianna Taylor's name, or there's a black power fist on the court. And that's a way of sustaining the conversation around basketball. And I hadn't really thought of that. Um, so I appreciated that note from Fred, too. If anyone's curious, Fred and Masai both said that uh, decisions haven't been made on specifically what the Raptors intend to do in terms of using their platform. Uh, Fred really liked the idea of... Um, personalizing messages on jerseys and he said he's still talking to um, people close to him uh, about what he's going to do specifically I just want to make mention I mentioned this on the radio yesterday as well on uh, I can't remember if it was Sportsnet or TSN um, but uh, this is something and I don't want to tell any individual what to do because all of these uh, jersey decisions and all of these activism decisions are going to be very individual and very personal so it's not on any one person but my hope is kind of, you know, with Toronto being Canada's team and there being a record number of Canadians around the NBA, uh, I would love to see someone or a couple of players take up the localization of this to make sure that it's clear that this is not just an American issue. Um, There are names like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd from Canada that you could put on your jersey to highlight this, that this is an issue here in Canada as well. Um, Five... uh, Black Indigenous people of color have died in the last since April on police distress calls. Um, 
you know, there we have a long history that continues to this day of poor treatment of our indigenous populations and missing indigenous girls um, who and, and, you know, that's not a vulnerability. That's them being targeted uh, because the systems aren't in place to to help indigenous people here in Canada, uh, especially indigenous youth. So um, hopefully there, there's someone or, or a group or, or a way the Raptors can work that in. Um, I would love to see it localized to Canada as well, because this isn't just an issue in the United States. This isn't just an issue um, you know, in, in Minneapolis, this is an issue everywhere. And, you know, it affects us here in Canada as well. And with the Raptors being a part of the NBA as Canada's team, you know, you can't, you can't ignore that because, you know, to your bear analogy from earlier, just because Canada might sometimes outrace the U S a little bit from the racism bear, uh, you know, that's not how, that's not how racial issues work. Uh, and we have a lot of work to do here in Canada too. You can look at Monday's Toronto city council decisions, uh, for evidence of that, that, you know, the, the vulnerable voices in our communities are still not being heard at the, at the political level, at the municipal level. Um, and we have a lot of work to do here too. So, you know, that's not, that's not on the shoulders of a Jamal Murray or a Shea Gilgis Alexander or Chris Boucher or, or any of the Toronto Raptors. But I hope that at, at somewhere uh, in this is a acknowledgement that we have to do better here in Canada as well. Uh, I should pivot us off because we have a schedule can we talk, talk about, more about? Can we talk more about the racism bear? The racism bear, man. It's a, it's a, it's a white bear. It's a Eloso, Eloso Blanco, to borrow an Evan Gaddis term. Um, by the way, speak. I, I mentioned Evan Gaddis. Uh, this is not about Evan Gaddis, but if you haven't yet, and you're, you know, beyond Fred Van Bleet's quotes, beyond. Masai Ujiri's quotes and everything else you've been hearing. If you're still looking for more perspective, uh, Ian Kinsler posted something on Instagram last night that was, um, you know, like a seven screenshot notes app uh, thing that was incredibly powerful. Ian Kinsler is a mixed race baseball player, uh, and he kind of opened up about why he's sitting out the 2020 season, uh, not only for health reasons, because he does have a couple of kids and a wife, um, but also because he thinks he can use this time to, um, you know, better at, at a grassroots level, at a community level, um, try to help with some of the systemic race issues in baseball. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of what he said about, you know, these rundown baseball diamonds that, that aren't invested in because youth sport has become a profit machine instead of a, a social machine on the baseball front. I think a lot of that probably applies to basketball. And, and even if even if you don't think it does, his perspective was uh, incredibly thoughtful and, and nuanced. And, and I recommend everyone checking that out. It's been making the rounds on Twitter, too, but it's also on Ian Kinsler's Instagram. So check that out. Eric, on Friday, yes. the NBA released the Toronto Raptors reseeding schedule for the 2020 relaunch. It is not kind to the Toronto Raptors, uh, as we kind of expected. For background, uh, what the league did was they took every team's remaining games and they picked eight from those. There had to be a little bit of massaging to make sure that everyone was able to get eight games in and uh, the schedule and things like that. So the Raptors get an unfavorable draw here in part because they had a lot of tough games left on their schedule and also in part because like they had two games against the Knicks and one against the Hornets and one against the Hawks and you don't get to beat up on those uh, those low teams uh, down the stretch here. Um, the Raptors, other than the Miami Heat, had the largest change, the, the largest uptick in relative strength of schedule. Um, the Heat had it slightly worse, uh, but the Raptors... Um, the Raptors were second worst in terms of making things more difficult. So um, 
Obviously, that got uh, people complaining a little bit. By the way, that relative strength of schedule is from Jacob Goldstein based on basketball references, uh, adjusted net rating. So um, the Raptors saw a 1.4 point per 100 possession increase in the relative difficulty of their schedule uh, behind only the Miami Heat. The 76ers and Celtics, both on the very easy end. Before we talk about the Celtics, because they are the most relevant uh, competitor to the Raptors in this relaunch. Eric, let's go through the schedule. The Raptors will play. The Los Angeles Lakers, the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic, the Boston Celtics, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Milwaukee Bucks on a back-to-back, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Denver Nuggets. Uh, The back-to-back against the Bucks is obviously uh, a toughie. Every team got one back-to-back on the schedule. Uh, John Hollinger did the legwork there to to check out and see that every team got one back-to-back. So eight games over 14 days. A little compressed there. Um, They have... Surprisingly, only two afternoon starts, which is uh, nice for our purposes. They also have uh, four of those games on national TV and five, if you count NBA TV as national TV. Eric, what are your initial takeaways from the Raptors' reseed schedule? Um, is it weird that my my first takeaway was they have a game against Memphis, and like in in, a, in I think the thing that went that was going around right after the league announced its return to play plan. Most people were uh, were predicting that they wouldn't have a game against Memphis just because of the number of games the Grizzlies still had to play against teams that are in the bubble. Um, and I think what they did there was because the Raptors had two hadn't. games left against the Grizzlies, they yeah. tried to account for that kind of. I thing. wonder, like, I, I'm wondering if there's any two teams that won't end up playing a game this year, uh, uh, and obviously it would have to be. Uh, one conference versus the other conference. Yeah. Um, Please don't ask me that on the podcast when I'm prepared no, for that question. No, I'm not. I'm not asking you. I, I am yeah. stating that that is something I am wondering. I, I know. Yeah. Like I, maybe I mean, the the Kings and the Hawks haven't played yet, or something like that. Yeah, that's less interesting. I, I mean, two teams in terms of the bubble. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, I, if I had to predict, that would be the reason. Like you, you don't want two teams that haven't played each other that that makes some amount of sense when trying to get as close to you know even schedules and balanced schedules as you can get when some teams are going to end up playing 74 team or 75 games and some teams are going to end up playing 71 games which still bothers me oh my god yeah, I, I, I guess can't... the only the only way to resolve that though is to have some teams have a more arduous schedule in the relaunch yeah. and it's yeah. going to look weird in the standings but i also think it's like it's probably, given the compressed timeline here all the way through the playoffs, like, if you were like, okay, yeah. well, this team has to play 11 games over 15 days, like, I don't know. Man. And especially I, I because... Think, I just don't think it was manageable. Yeah, I guess the, I think, thing you, the thing you would do was cut games from the teams that had more games. But Yeah, and uh, I think the Lakers are coming in, if I'm not mistaken, with having played the fewest games. Uh, and they're, yeah, they're at 63 right now, so they're on the low end. And... Uh, they are basically home and cooled for the one seed. So making them play more games would probably just result in more meaningless games uh, in the schedule, which is not what you want. It just bothers. Alex Caruso Hive would get what they want, though. We'd get a couple Alex Caruso 20 pieces at the end of that schedule. Hey, Alex Caruso might might be a starter now that Avery Bradley isn't coming into the bubble. Uh, We'll see that on August 1st on ESPN at 830. Oh, baby. Uh, that's going to be a, a, a big one. 
Uh, is Let that me the ask, how is that the how, Lakers' first game too? Probably not. No, it's the Lakers' second game. The mm. Lakers play the Clippers on July thirtieth to open oh, the league. Interesting. Um, oh, I can't. We don't I can't know believe the Canadian broadcast. We don't know the Canadian broadcast schedule yet for these eight games. Uh, I believe TSN and Sportsnet were even at the time of uh, the hiatus, so <laughs> yeah. you'll probably have a draft for these eight games. But how pissed do you think Sportsnet is that? The Raptors' first game back is the theoretical night the NHL returns also. Uh, that's certainly going to be a TSN game, I think. Uh, yeah, that and, you know, it's the one game against LeBron. It's probably the sexiest game on, on of the eight games. Um, considering, oh, I disagree there. Uh, oh, other than the Boston game, I should say. Yeah. Um, the Boston game's the big one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the Milwaukee game is because it's happening later. The Bucks probably will have nothing to play for. Not probably. The Bucks will have nothing to play for. Um, and, the Raptors will also be on a back-to-back. And depending yeah. on what happens against Boston, um, you know, the Raptors could be in cruise control for those last three games, too. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about that. That'll be interesting to play. Uh, so I, I just to formally answer your question is, like, the schedule's actually a bit easier than I thought it would be, which is still very, 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 very difficult and one of the most difficult in the league. As I pointed out in my breakdown of the schedule on Friday night, um, you had said on this podcast two weeks ago that you actually liked the Raptors' chances of hanging on to the two-seed better with 18 games remaining and a slightly easier schedule than eight games remaining. Did I say and that? And a tougher schedule. You did, yeah. Uh, or you I were did. like on the fence about it. You, you theorized about whether or not you felt that way. Hmm. Okay, um, I don't remember what I I don't I don't feel like that was my take. I anyway, whatever. Let's continue. Okay, uh, you definitely talked around it. If not, <laughs> yeah, that uh, that is something I, I do quite often. So. Yeah, like I, it was enough that I linked to the specific part of the podcast when I mentioned this in my in my write up. So, um, yes, you've done the necessary research. Okay, yes. fine. Uh, anyway, if you were curious, Eric, misquoted uh, per- by, misquoted by the media, taken out of context. Go ahead. Okay. Per Jacob Goldstein, uh, the Raptors, or, or sorry, per basketball reference, um, Jacob Goldstein didn't have the pre-hiatus odds handy when I asked him. Uh, per basketball reference, the Raptors' odds of landing in the number two seed or higher were 82.4% before the hiatus. Um, in my article on Friday, it says the Raptors' odds improved to 88.8%. Jacob Goldstein then uh, tweaked his simulation, and that actually bumped to 90.8%. So the Raptors uh, improved by 8.4 percentage points. Their odds of landing the two seed, um, they have no chance of landing the one seed in my mind, but I guess it's possible Milwaukee could go 0-8. So the two seed, they have a good handle on. That game on August 7th against the Celtics is the biggest one on the schedule for several reasons. One, we always like to uh, see the Raptors against the Celtics. More importantly, the Raptors are currently three games up on Boston for the two seed. If Boston were to win that game, that lead would shrink to two and Boston would lock up the tiebreaker. If the Raptors win, uh, that lead would grow to four and the Raptors would uh, not own the main tiebreaker, but they would own the tertiary tiebreaker, which is what that tie would go down to. Uh, So that's effectively, that would make the Raptors effectively uh, five games ahead of Boston that Boston would have to catch up over the final seven. Uh, So that's about a three-game swing in an eight-game window. Uh, If the Raptors can win that one, they're more or less in the clear. They're probably fine even if they lose that one. It's just hard to make up two games 
in a seven-game schedule, and, and one of the Raptors' toughest games, Milwaukee, probably won't be the level of difficulty uh, that you expect there. But Boston, as I mentioned earlier, has a pretty cake schedule. Um, Boston will play. Who are they got here? They have Milwaukee, Portland, Miami, Brooklyn, Toronto, Orlando, Memphis, and Washington. Uh, getting Washington, Orlando, and Brooklyn all in your relaunch schedule is pretty tasty. Portland and Memphis should be plenty hungry and playing pretty hard in those games. And the fact that they get Milwaukee um, right away suggests to me that you know maybe you'll get a, a good version of Milwaukee rather than a resting version of Milwaukee. But that schedule is significantly easier than Toronto's. Um, Eric, how do you like the Raptors' chances of hanging on to the two-seed as Boston tries to catch them in this small window here? Uh, well, despite whatever I said in the past, <laughs> and <laughs> who, who can who can say, really? Despite um, what I made up you saying. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, you cut off half of the runway and it becomes easier to uh, to hold on to that that lead, regardless of how, you know... Uh, my my runway analogy is really dying here, but you know, eight games versus eighteen games, it's obviously less likely that you give up a, th- a three game lead. But these, given the schedule, it's about as uh, as about as competitive as the league. Not that the league did it because of this, but it's about as you know as competitive and realistic for. Uh, one really good team to catch another really good team as could have happened. So, you know, I would obviously favor the Raptors. You know, the numbers say that making up uh, three games over eight games, again, with both teams being really good and you assume that neither team is going to, is going to go worse than like worst case scenario, three and five, maybe, um, so that means the other team has to go six and two or seven and one, which is, you know, certainly possible. Uh, but it's unlikely. So I like the Raptors chances to hold on, but you know, if the Raptors get off to a bumpy start and then they lose that Boston game, like they're, you're in a world where it could be tied all of a sudden. So, uh, I'll take the, I'll take the Raptors and, you know, I, I, you know, it doesn't feel like a 90% chance to me. Uh, and, you know, obviously saying, what it feels like is irrelevant because, you know, Jacob's a lot smarter with, with the mathematics than I am. But uh, I could see a scenario in which it gets very dicey. Uh, but I'll, I'll I'll take the Raptors and, you know, I think, I think that's the way it'll go. Yeah, I think the thing to remember with uh, simulations and probabilities is that uh, just because a probability is greater than 50% doesn't mean it's 100%. 90% mm-hmm. still leaves a 1 in 10 chance that the Celtics could catch that up. Um, you know, based on how Jacob runs those simulations and one in 10 is not all that odd. You know, it's not, it's not a crazy upset if the Raptors get caught. Uh, I will say the Raptors should be approaching this as if the two seed is quite important. We've talked about this throughout the course of the season, but there is a pretty big drop off after the number six spot in the Eastern conference. Uh, you look at the Orlando magic. We don't, I don't know that we know for sure yet whether Jonathan Isaac and Al Farouk Aminu will be back. Um, Our colleague Josh Robbins reported that Evan Fournier is expected to be back. But as of uh, Josh Robbins' latest mailbag at The Athletic, um, no update on the status of Jonathan Isaac and Al Farouk Aminu, who are both uh, presumed out for the season when the hiatus hit. Uh, Obviously, Isaac returning would make... uh, 
make Orlando a tougher out. Uh, for my money, Isaac, you know, I had picked him to win most improved player before the year. And I, I think he was in that conversation before he got hurt. I think he's one of the most dynamic and truly five position defenders in the entire NBA. But he's also a young player who won't have played for months and will be trying to get back up to speed in a relaunch environment, even if he's, uh, that that's if he's playing. I think the drop off from an Indiana to, or Philadelphia or Miami, whoever lands in the sixth seed, to Orlando is significant. Um, if Brooklyn were to somehow hang on to the seventh seed instead of Orlando, you're then looking at a team where uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant aren't coming back. We found out on Monday night uh, via his own tweet that DeAndre Jordan has tested positive for COVID-19 and will be sitting out. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie has also uh, revealed that he's tested positive and is symptomatic. Uh, he hasn't ruled himself out entirely yet, uh, but it's certainly seems to be going that way and then Wilson Chandler voluntarily withdrew due to family reasons so you have a you know if the Brooklyn Nets land in the seven seed that's obviously uh, a big dip from Indiana and Miami and Philadelphia as well uh, there's also that tiny tiny percentage chance Washington sneaks into that spot uh, I don't need to deal with another Raptors Wizards series personally uh, but you know that would be not the not the worst outcome for the Raptors. As you really you really want team. another Raptors Magic series after last year? I mean, if Jonathan Isaac plays, I'm I'm extremely in the tank for Jonathan Isaac. No, I, I will watch four or five games of Jonathan Isaac. Uh, and Markel Fultz was so fun before, like he was starting to figure things out. Uh, I like Orlando. You, I, you, know, yeah. you know this. I I was annoyingly. Uh, you know, I annoyingly liked Orlando all of last year. And then when the Raptors played them twice late in the regular season, five times in the playoffs, and then twice again early this season, I was like, okay, I need a break from the Orlando Magic for a little bit. But, uh, you know, I've had that break now. I'm ready for more. <laughs> Would We all need more Magic in our lives. Yeah. Give me that Mobamba. Let's <laughs> let's go. I'm fine with that. I mean, look, I, I'd be... I'd be perfectly fine with Karis LeVert and noted New Japan Pro Wrestling fan Joe Harris for four or five games too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just, the the Wizards are the least entertaining option of these to me. Especially oh, come with, on. Uh, Brad Beal's going to, like, score 45 a game in that series. They're going to, every game will be 130 to 121. That, that'll be great. Yeah, yeah I'm glad you said 130 to 121 because not only will Brad Beal score 45 points, but if his play this season is any indication, he will allow Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet and <laughs> Kyle Lowry and Terrence Davis and whoever else to also score uh, yeah. 45. Bradley no, Beal, at one point, a player I considered one of the best two-way uh, guards or wings in the NBA, and he certainly looked at that level when he's played the Raptors in the past in the playoffs. Uh, he was not engaged on the defensive end this season. Yeah, well, you know, him. sometimes you you mold to the atmosphere around you. I, I will say that no Davis Bertans makes uh, Washington slightly less of an appealing option uh, it, from a viewing actually, standpoint. You gotta let the A breathe like Fondango. It's Davis Bertans. Oh, you gotta let that A breathe. Davis, no. Davis. Like uh Davis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alright. It's great. It's uh it's uh it's good. If they get the Wizards Oh, I guess Davis Bertans isn't playing, so I, I can't even dust yeah. off my when last time the Raptors played the Wizards and Terrence Davis hit a bunch of threes, I tweeted Terrence Davis Bertans. because <laughs> uh, my brain's broken. It's Did you need to say Davis like Mandy and Mandy Rose or or was that just a uh, Davis? Well you said it like Mandy Rose's introduction. Oh, uh, like I can't, I can't place that right now. I'm sorry. It's just like Mandy, you know. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. No, anyway. I definitely meant to say, but like I said, I'm doing it like like early career Fandango, like pre Fashion Files. Yeah. You know, do WrestleMania debut against Chris Jericho Fandango. <laughs> Fandango. Dongo, I don't think Spartans. I don't think I was in at the time, but uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, this will. <laughs> this is a good portrait of the podcast that we're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, look, we we talked. We're like almost 40 minutes in of talking real basketball stuff. It's about time this went off the rails. <laughs> it's true. Between, I mean, we did have the racist bear conversation too. So, yes. uh, uh, it hasn't racist been all, bear. it hasn't been all focused, but that's what you're here for. The, yeah. the, the living, living right on the edge. You want to know when it's going to fall off. And, uh, here we are. Here we are. All right. If you want to know more about how the Raptors schedule breaks down and those changes in difficulty, uh, I wrote about that on Friday at The Athletic. You can go to theathletic.com slash team slash Raptors or just search it out on our Twitters. Uh, if you are not a subscriber yet, theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six for 40% off. Uh, we also have 30 day free trials right now if you click off any article, I believe. So, um, you know, find one of Eric or my articles and click it and you can get 30 days free trial. Uh, if you don't want to do the 40% off thing, I personally would go the 40% off route because, you know, 40% off long-term seems to me better than 100% off short-term, but that's that's just me, you know? It's, uh, I just have a business degree. What do I know? It's, uh... <laughs> little uh, little, right. little passive-aggressive humble brag there. Yeah, yeah. The, the degree that I basically crumpled up and threw in the trash the second that I was finished. Yeah, but you still have it. You still learned. Yeah. I don't physically know where it is, but... Nah, who it's, cares? Uh, digitally, I have. Yeah, I don't know what. Actually, my journalism degree is in my uh, childhood bedroom right now. So yeah, that's where that is. All your hopes and dreams, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no. That's... You, do you wait a second? Did your like, do your your parents still live in like the house you grew up in? They do. Uh, that's I, amazing. They moved there when I was uh, two, and they're still there. That must be such a nice feeling. Uh, it's nice to go home. Yeah, sure. Um, I've I've never been at one address for more than five years in my entire life. Yeah, and you you've talked about that when you've moved. Like you get like trigger finger like uh, like within yeah. a, within a year. I get kinda. itchy. I've been at my current address almost three years now, though. Uh, it's a good place. It's a good spot in the city. Um, I can lots see of room why. for rust to destroy pillows. Yeah, uh, is it rust now? Is, is, it's been uh, rust for a little. While. Rust stuck. We tried. What did we try? Pavel, Shingo, Mox, Tony Hawk, yeah. Tucker, and then Russ is the one that's stuck. It's the one that he responded to the most. So, yeah. Uh, as much as I like a two-syllable dog name, uh, Russ has uh, we can yeah, Russell when he rips up a pillow, you know, so he knows he's Russell. Like, yeah. Russell. Russ. Uh, shout out to Russell Martin. Surprised he's not on someone's sixty-man as a uh, fifth catcher <laughs> slash player coach. Uh, all right, Eric, we have uh, two weeks ago, we did a mailbag uh, before I disappeared for the Doug Smith episode. We have a couple questions left over that I think we are uh, in a spot to answer. We have a, a little more clarity on the schedule. We have a little more clarity on what's going on with the Raptors. Uh, so if it's cool with you, we're going to answer uh, at least three of those. And then if they're quick, maybe we'll get uh, get to a couple more. Yeah, I'm known for my quick answers. So uh, let's go. Yeah. Okay. The first one comes from... Uh, P. Kelly. I'm not sure if that's Kelly with the silent P or P. Kelly, but the question is, uh, who's, go who's going to be the biggest surprise Raptor to make an impact on their playoff success, and why is it Terrence Davis? Um, it's not Terrence Davis, because that's not a surprise to me. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think Nick Nurse is going to get 
pretty tight with his rotation again uh, in the playoffs. You saw how that worked out. Uh, like, it's interesting. Like, how do you answer this question for last year's team, right? Like, it'd probably be Norman Powell, but he was sort of the eighth man. So, it, like, will there be a surprise? I, you know, if I had to answer, I'd say, like, maybe Matt Thomas has, like, a big quarter. And uh, at one the, point... The Jody helps, Meeks Memorial role. Hopefully, you know, a little more than that. Uh, so I'll say Matt Thomas. I, you know, I still think Terrence Davis is is the natural guy for to get some run if there are minutes to behind Lowry, Van Vliet, and Powell. And you have to remember that, like in a playoff situation, now it's a more compressed playoff situation in the first round this year. So maybe that factors in a little bit and we don't know what will happen with injuries but you know you're often down to three guards three you know bigger wing type players and two centers so uh the ninth man might not get much time in this scenario you know it can we saw situations where it was like seven men or even in in some halves down to basically six guys uh last year against philadelphia so uh i'll say matt thomas uh, I th- I'm not surprised at this point if uh, if Terrence Davis makes a an impact. I, I just don't know what that role looks like. Okay, I uh, and yeah, in terms of the rotation depth, I, I think Nick Nurse said on on David Aldridge's podcast last week here at the Athletic, um, also in article form. If you prefer that, theathletic.com/slash we the six forty percent off. If you want to read David Aldridge's article, um, he said that basically with eight games of relaunch and all this uncertainty, he's got to try to get 17 guys ready. Um, And I think, you know, to our earlier conversation, uh, the earlier the Raptors can get two seed certainty, the more they can approach the back half of the schedule with, you know, hey, we need Stanley Johnson to get some minutes or we need Chris Boucher to get 15 minutes in a game to make sure that these guys have played in the last couple months if they're called on. Uh, If they lock up the two seed, I could also see Nurse approaching the first round of the playoffs with a wider rotation, whether that's, you know, 10 and they play heavy bench units or it's 10 and like that ninth man role rotates a little bit or whatever. Um, But they'll certainly have the margin for error to run a deeper rotation in the first round. Uh, My answer for this one, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, I think what I, what will be the biggest surprise, like positive surprise is when you get to the playoffs and you look at what other defenses are going to try to do the Raptors in their half-court offense. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for OG Ananobi to show some of the offensive growth he only got to flash in little bursts uh, this season. And I think, you know, OG to take the next step as an overall value and ahead of a potential contract extension, uh, he needs to be able to do what he's been doing on more volume. And whether that's higher three-point volume or more dribble attack volume uh, against closeouts or whatever, I think opposing defenses are going to test him in that regard because you're certainly not going to leave Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, Powell the way he's been playing, Gasol with his playmaking. You know, OG is the guy in the seven or eight-man rotation, maybe a, a Baca as well in that kind of long mid-range but OG's the guy that that teams are going to force to beat them and and I think you know I think maybe people sleep on the the growth that he showed on the offensive end uh deeper down the roster I just think there's a place for Chris Boucher to change a game with his chaos like I I I could absolutely see a Lucas Noguera I guess situation I was about to bring that comes in and like they get a 13-0 run hung on them because he's all over the place but I could also see it going the other way where like 
Boucher blocks a three and then shoots an ill-advised above the break three at the other end and then, like, has an offensive rebound for a putback. And, you know, those... Those sparks from the ninth man, you know, we think of a Matt Thomas in that specialist role. Um, those can come from from an energy big too, uh, particularly if you get to a series where uh, either A, Gasol or Ibaka get into foul trouble, or B, against a bigger opponent where you maybe need that third big somewhere in the rotation because Ibaka and Gasol are playing minutes together. Which leads us to our next question. This one comes from Sandy. What closing death lineup would you like to see the Raptors use late in a series versus Boston? And is it different than the one you'd use against Philadelphia? I mean, Boston is wing heavy. Um, so I, I'm not sure there's one stock answer. I, I, you know, I'm Gasol is, is on the floor for me in all situations. And, and so is La, so are Lowry and Siakam. So, so that really leaves two spots. I think you need OG for the defensive versatility. And, uh, I, I think, so it depends how much you're getting punished at the time from the, the, you know, size mismatch. If, you know, Fred Van Vliet is on Jalen Brown or, or if Kyle Lowry is on Jalen Brown. I think the Raptors can deal with that. I think Van Vliet gives them their, uh, you know, their most potent lineup. So I'm probably just rolling with the quote-unquote starters against Philly. It might change. Uh, you, so, you might... Sorry, can I just jump in with Boston before you go to Philly? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, I would say, yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily um, one of the point guards on Jalen Brown. I could also see them um, having OG and Siakam on Brown and Tatum in some format. And then you put the extra point guard on Hayward. Yeah, Um, that's and some of this obviously depends on what Boston does as well. If Smart is out there in place of either Brown or Tatum or sorry, in place of either Brown or Hayward, I can't see a scenario where Brown's not on the floor closing for them. Like, I think, like with the Raptors um, having three certainties, Walker, Tatum, and Brown are probably certainties for Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the question becomes, is, is it Daniel Tice that, that's closing? And it probably is, because I don't think you can have Ennis Cantor out there, and I don't think you want to go super small against Toronto necessarily. Um, but if Marcus Smart's out there, you know, that's a guy... That, that's an interesting guy to test the Raptors' philosophy of giving up a lot of corner threes and, and especially um, to lesser shooters where they think they can scramble out because Marcus Smart will take those shots, man. He will he will get those shots. For a guy with a 31.8% career three-point uh, percentage, he will get those shots up at a uh, to the tune this year of 7.7 attempts per 36, although he did shoot 35% this year and 36% yeah. last year. So, um, you know, he's a... He's an interesting test of that strategy, whether that's against the Raptors or against the Bucks, two teams that do give up a, a fair amount of uh, threes, and in Milwaukee's case, above the break threes to pick and pop bigs, in the Raptors' case, a historic number of corner threes. So um, I think you know you're a little more comfortable with the Raptors starters if it's smart out there, but I don't think you hesitate to you know we know Lowry and Van Vliet both can guard up a position whether that's against Jalen Brown. I probably try it on Hayward yeah. first unless Hayward really gets going and you're just sending some help there. Um, I don't think the Celtics are gonna not that you can post up Kyle Lowry anyway, but I don't think they want to run a post oriented offense um, through a wing anyway. I think I think they like to play perimeter oriented and have the ball in the hands of Kemba or, or Jason Tatum. So, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think the, the common five starters is probably where you go there. Um, yeah. Uh, especially I, if you're holding a lead, like, like maybe you consider norm in for OG if you're behind and you need some offense, but, 
Um, you know, I don't know that Norm can... Then, then you have two potential spots where, where Boston can attack because I don't know that Norm can hang with a, a Tatum or, or uh, a Brown at the same level as... O- well, not... I know he can't at the same level as OG, but Norm's defense has been so uneven uh, in... Especially this year as his offensive role grows, but in general, that I don't know that you... You know, Norm's offense is an obvious fit for late game scenarios, but his defense is, you know, I, I would say he's probably the worst defender in the Raptors' seven-man rotation. So, Which, you know, he's average, I, I would say. Yeah, that's so, a high so, bar. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I think at the beginning of all this, he was one of the first guys to talk to, and he said he's been focusing in on that, but it's sort of a hard thing to one-on-one, one-on-one or one-on-zero probably drill <laughs> when you're, you know, just alone other than like working on your, you know, agility and, and you know, side-to-side foot, uh, foot speed. So I, I don't really think I mean, we can believe in defensive improvement after you've been alone for a while until... until yeah, that, that's the thing is like a lot of Powell's issues are like off-ball attentiveness yeah. or like yeah. navigating screens and stuff like that. And you can't... You can't do that stuff you know, on, the, uh, on the gym one on oh. So to get to the second half of the question, you know, I'd cert with Philadelphia, uh, and, and part of a coach's job, I want to say, is reading what's going on in the game. Like there is a bit of gut. Like I do believe in that. Like there's a bit of a gut feel. Like think of the lineup that was on the floor when Kawhi hit his shot. Like it wasn't the Raptors needed one bucket, and it wasn't their best shooting lineup by any stretch like Danny Green and Fred Van Vliet were both on the bench I believe was that right maybe Danny Green was on um I think Danny Green was on you'd want to was, go there as a D-boy, right? Gasol Lowry uh Abaco um and then who was the fourth Kawhi and yeah I maybe it was Green but it would have had to be Danny or, or Fred yeah I guess it yeah it wasn't Chody Mix um, yeah. it wasn't Fred. Fred was on because Fred was okay. in the corner as as he made the shot. Right. Um. Anyway. Uh. So the part of you know that's not the, like the best spacing unit you can make. Uh. Even even if at the time Fred was you know in the midst of his pre Fred Junior slump. So you have to read a game and see how it's going and who's having success at that point in the series or that point in the evening or afternoon or whatever freaking time they're going to play these games is meaningful. But it's obviously a time where you can attempt the so-called jumbo lineup um, because Nick Nurse loves borrowing terms from other sports, uh, which would be... Yeah, his three yeah. tight end lineup. Yeah, uh, Kyle... His goal line package. <laughs> Kyle, OG, Pascal, Ibaka, and Gasol. Now... The counter to that is, you know, Philadelphia, you know, the best version of Philadelphia, which, you know, who knows, but they're big and long and, you know, you need some speed to break that lineup down. And that, in that Raptors lineup, while, you know, they sure have a bit, like it's, it's relatively light on, without Powell or Van Vliet on the floor, it's relatively light on, um, you know, speed and, and playmaking, uh, whether for yourself or for others. So, uh, but again, because of their size, that's something I would want to see, whether I want to see it at the end of the game or not, sort of depends how it's going. Yeah, it's tough. You know, Philly's closing lineup, I would imagine, looks something like Josh Richardson, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid. Um, 
so, you know, you're obviously going to have Gasol out there. It, it, it's tough because the Sixers' numbers um, in games that Simmons and Embiid both play, their numbers, and this is a multi-year trend now, are their numbers are stronger with one of them on the court and not the other um, because of they still haven't figured out the offense and stuff. But I don't know, you know, you can't, I don't think you can sit one of those guys in a, in a clutch situation, both for, you know, trying to win a game and for longer term reasons. Um, outside of those five, I think, you know, maybe if Matisse Tybel's hitting his threes uh, and you want him to, to lock down a hot Raptor, maybe he's out there. He is uh, phenomenal defensively and uh, also has had a good quarantine on social media. I'm a big fan of his and I, uh, yeah, anyway, so I think that's the six. Like, I don't think Firkin Korkmaz is getting out there unless they really need a th- uh, some some extra shooting. Um, you know, maybe James Ennis runs back his uh, his one good burst against the Raptors from last year. But uh, yeah, I think we know the five or six that Philly's running and, and they're big. And the Raptors trusted, you know, Kyle Lowry on Tobias Harris last year and kind of dared them to go into the post. But but Philly's even a little more dangerous big because of that the Al Horford factor. Um, you know, well, and the spacings. If Al the, Horford the, is, you know, Al Horford yeah. and not this year's Al Horford. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I'd, I'd rather face Al Horford in this lineup than Jimmy Butler, if that's what you're saying, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. And maybe with the Raptors' defensive creativity and the lack of spacing that that group has with, you know, they have some shooters, but they don't have a great kind of fundamental spacing. Um, maybe you can get away with being a little smaller and, and you have your guards fly all over the place. I'd probably want to see big and see if, you know, can Ibaka hang, like which Ibaka is there defensively, which Horford's there offensively. Um, can, can you control the defensive glass big like that? Like I'd certainly want to see that jumbo package at some point. Uh, you know, whether like you said, whether you close with it, you, you'd need the sample of the rest of the game or the, the series. But I definitely think you're going to skew bigger. And if Fred Van Vliet and Norman Powell aren't like asserting themselves on the game offensively, um, you can justify better having both of those guys on the bench than you could against Boston, where um, Van Vliet's just going to be so valuable defensively. Not that he wouldn't be here. He just, you know, he's we've both said we think he's an all defense level defender this year. Um but yeah, that's a tough matchup. So, all right. Uh, we said we we're going to get to more than two questions, but these answers have been pretty long. So let's end with the easy third one, Eric, uh, from Dan Grant, your friend. What's the best cheese? <laughs> um, I really like Munster. That's a good, reliable one. I really like Havarti. Um, it's always a party with Havarti. Um, I think those would be my, my top two. How about you? I'm going to go with Manchego. Manchego. Yeah. And that's, uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, so, yeah, theathletic.com slash we the six for all our written stuff. You can get 40% off there or click one of our recent articles for a 30 day free trial. Uh, in addition to the schedule breakdown and Eric's piece off of the Fred Van Vliet and Masai Ujiri presser, uh, I've been rolling out my, my draft profiles, um, casting much too wide a net for four months away from the draft but what else are we going to do with uh with all this time um and as things ramp back up you know there are going to be more press conferences or, or more conference calls rather um a little more analysis of what the raptors are going to look like in a relaunch i've got something coming on um whether their half court offense is, is going to be an issue in the later rounds of the playoffs uh, spoiler it is my largest concern about the the raptors in a relaunch but there are reasonable. signs for optimism yeah, um, so we'll get into all of that, and maybe we'll talk about that on next week's podcast. Uh, next week's podcast topic and guest and everything to be determined because we're in kind of a 
wait and see on news holding pattern all the time now. Um, Eric, thank you so much for this, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Happy Canada Day, guys. See ya!